0: All right. yes we are live. Well welcome back. Uh, It's good to see you guys here and for those of you listening in, it's good to have you join us once again. Um, We're going to continue with the life of Jesus Christ and we're going to remain in the book of Mark this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 5. We were in Mark chapter 4 and 5, chapters 4 and 5 last week and we're going to finish out chapter 5 Uh, this morning. uh, What we're going to look at this morning is also recounted in Matthew 9 and Luke 8. Uh, And again, uh, by choice, I choose a particular gospel where there is a duplication of the story to go with. And often we'll allow the other accounts to add some flavor, but usually we want to just deal with the account as it rests. But just know that they're there. And occasionally I'll bring in some things from the other, other accounts as well. Uh, last week, if you recall, we looked at uh, Jesus stealing the storm and the sea, and then, of course, uh, the Gerasene or Gadarene demoniac, and casting legion into the pigs, the swineherd. Uh, you know, working in a classical Christian school, we deal with logic all the time, and I discovered there's a logical fallacy. This is kind of harkening back to last week's lesson. There's an informal logical fallacy named after the pigs, the, the garrison or gathering pigs, and it's called the gathering uh, fallacy, um, and it runs this way. Uh, it's the fallacy of supposing that because a group is in the right formation and headed in the same direction, it's necessarily a good course. So that's called the Gadarene fallacy. So I thought that was intriguing. That there's one named after the pigs. Okay, so... The, the, well, the demon-possessed pigs, which is often what happens with mobs. Anyway, so that's, that's not part of our lesson this week, but that by way of kind of getting us into it. Now, if you recall, he was on the other side of the, of, of the, the Sea of Galilee in a predominantly Gentile area, hence the pigs. And he was told to leave. They didn't want him there. Please go away. And they do. Jesus gets in the boat, they come back across, most likely in the region of Capernaum. Uh, So they're now back on the Jewish side in Galilee. And now we're gonna see, after after just having been told, please go away, we don't want you here. Now, someone comes to him and says, please come. So it goes from please go away to please come, right right next to each other. Now, if you'll notice the outline, Hopefully I got your attention. With point one, uh, Jesus' daughter is restored. You're thinking, ooh, daughter? What is up with that? Now notice I did put daughter in quotation marks. Uh, because I do that simply because obviously it, it is kind of stunning. But there, he does call her, he calls the, this, this woman with the issue of blood, his daughter. He says, daughter, you've been restored. Your faith has, has made you well. Um, it's the only ch- time we have in the Gospels where Jesus calls a woman daughter. So it's intriguing. So I wanted to make sure we saw that. And it ties in well, of course, when you want to alliterate an outline with Jairus' daughter being raised, which is the second point. Um, but that's his legit real daughter, uh, young daughter. And, and we're going to say Jairus, even though, because we, we have trouble anglicizing that name. Uh, it's Hairus, but we just, we don't, it would be hard for us to go Jairus, so we usually say Jairus, and we're just going to go ahead and do that, all right? So, trust me, same guy. All right, so he's come back across the lake, where he left because of the crowds, and now he comes back, and there are the crowds. And it's in the midst of that that we have this taking place. Uh, what's interesting about this account, and Mark does this quite often, is he'll put a story within a story. It's called a Markin sandwich, because, you know, theologians have great terms, yes. So it's the Markin sandwich, and you have a story within a story, and not that they didn't happen this way, but what happens, too, is they, they sort of bounce off of each other. So we're going to see a lot of similarities and almost commentary on each other because of this. So right off you see the, two, the daughter theme going on. Uh, we're going to notice that um, these two people, Jairus and this woman, couldn't be farther apart on the social scale. Man-woman number one, if you recall from the ancient world, that, that alone being a woman's a handicap in their, in their culture. Uh, she being unclean because of her issue, her health issue, for quite a long time. He being a synagogue ruler. Um, So there's a lot of real differences here, but there are so many similarities. What we're also going to see is that in both cases, and basically up until there's been quite a few coming up here, we're seeing fear become faith. Um, Think of the fearfulness of of the disciples in the boat, and Jesus, of course, rebuking them for not having faith. Think of the uh, anxiety and fear of seeing this demoniac and Jesus restoring him. Now you're going to have the fear of this woman coming to Jesus, unclean. And Jairus, of course, fearing for his daughter's life. And in all these cases, we see either intimated or come out of this faith. Recall last week when we said, you know, we learned the lesson that is, no matter what storms happen in life, Jesus is in the boat with us. There's no need to fear. That doesn't mean calamity is not going to happen. And in this case, we see this again, where Jesus in their midst takes care of what they're afraid of. So with that in mind, and we'll, we'll hearken to a lot of different things as we go along, the, the similarities and, and, and how they kind of feed off of each other. We're going to start with the beginning of the Jairus story and the interruption of the woman with the issue of blood. Now, the Jairus story will continue after that, so that's why we divided into verses 21 to 34 of chapter 5 of Mark. That's where Jairus shows up, and then we have the interruption. So we're going to focus more on the woman in this particular point of the outline. In the second point, We'll see then the resumption of the story of Jairus and the raising of his daughter. Now again, most of these are familiar to us, but uh, it's kind of fun. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, mentioned I mentioned a uh, a movie called The Miracle Maker. Uh, it's it's an animated movie of Jesus' life, done with that that sort of weird Russian stop motion puppetry stuff. Uh, it's pretty fascinating, just that. But that movie actually takes Uh, this little girl as sort of the heroine, the touch point of the entire movie. Going through as she touches, the the speculation is that she now follows Jesus as well. And Jairus too. But again, that's just a fun way, kind of a trope to make the movie work. Alright, probably ought to get to the scripture. Alright, so here we go. Uh, In verse 21, we're going to read through verse uh, 30. 21 to 34 Alright, you ready Jay? I'm
1: ready When Jesus again crossed over
0: You're good, just keep reading Oh, oh. Yeah, this is your microphone You're going to oh, be oh. going down in history here, buddy Alright All right. When Jesus had once
1: crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake A large crowd gathered around him While he was by the lake When one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she could be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many, many doctors and had spent all she had, but yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, If I just touch his clothes I will be healed. Immediately her mind of bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized the power had gone out of him, from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you. His disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Yet, but Jesus kept looking around to see who was done. It. Then the woman, knowingly what, It happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, and you're freed from your suffering. How's that?
0: Well done. You have have a career in reading novels, all right? That's right. All right. um, We've set it up. And we talked about the multitude being there. What's interesting now, though, is that you have a synagogue official who is coming to entreat of Jesus to come to heal his daughter. And, uh, of course, he probably knows about this Jesus guy uh, because Jesus has been ministering in that area. And who knows what courage it took for him to kind of swallow his theological pride. We're not sure necessarily where he stood on who he thought Jesus was but in his hour of need and greatest fear and anxiety about his daughter he comes to Jesus and no matter what he thought this public act took great courage and he had to swallow quite a bit of pride and notice he he, he entreats Jesus he falls at his feet I mean he's he's right there we're going to see later as we already heard that this woman is going to fall at Jesus' feet. He wants Jesus to come and lay hands on his daughter, knowing that Jesus has the power to heal her. We're going to see later that she, this woman, reaches out to touch Jesus. So whereas he wants Jesus to touch his daughter, she is of the opinion, if I can just touch his garment. And then still later... Where she reaches out her hand to touch Jesus, we're going to see Jesus reach out and take the hand of Jairus' daughter. So there's all these neat parallels going on. Whatever it might be, though, notice he comes to Jesus. That's that's the key here. Now, he's a synagogue official. What does that mean? Is he a rabbi? No. Uh, He is sort of, we have elders here. So he's a lay elder, if you want to think of it that way. Like lay elders here, responsible for a lot of the behind-the-scenes things that are going on. One of the rulers of the synagogue would you know, make sure things are ready, even take care of the building itself. But it is a position of distinction. His name, Jairus, means, might he enlighten? Um, so there might even be a reputation of this guy being learned. We, we don't know. Uh, all that to say... You have this man where you had the, the garrison saying, please go away. He says, please come in faith. And notice Jesus' response. He just goes. Yeah, he goes. Now that's the setup for what's going to happen later in the home in Jairus' home. In the meantime, they've got to get there. And in the meantime, that crowd is still around Jesus. When he goes, his disciples go, they go as well. And the detail is that it's, you know, it's a lot of jostling, a lot of people around Jesus as they're going. And we learn then of this woman. This woman who's had this issue for 12 years. Uh, we learn later, of course, that Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. So you've got that going as well. So, this—what is the problem here? You know, it's—you know, when I was little, you know, issue of blood. You can imagine what sorts of things that conjures in your mind. You know, what is she? It's like just blood just running out everywhere. Most likely, this is a problem uh, with her menstrual cycle. Uh, that there's some things going on internally, hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging from her uterus. We don't—we don't know. We're not told. But uh, there is a there is significant amount of uh, ink spilled in, in both the, the, the rabbinic literature on how to treat these things and what to do. Uh, Leviticus 15 specifically addresses uh, women in their menstrual cycle and what is unclean and not, and if there are issues with that, uh, what's going on. So most likely that's what we're dealing with here. And we're told that she spent... Everything she's had, basically, on doctors. Now, a little bit different going to a doctor then and going to a doctor now. Of course, medicine is in its earliest stages still. A lot of it's still packed up with superstition. It's, uh, a lot of it is elixirs and astringents and ointments and uh, incantations. There's all sorts of things going on. And just like today, it depends on your doctors to how you thought about them, right? Uh, There is rabbinic literature that says the best of doctors are destined for hell, Gehenna. But there are also passages that say uh, that they are agents of the Holy Spirit, of God. So it depends on how you've been treated, I guess. Uh, Mark seems to have sort of a little dig going on in here if you read Luke's account he doesn't say that yeah I wonder why you know know, yeah you know Luke being the doctor he just says well you know she she went to a lot of doctors and and that's it um but Mark seems to give a little more of a she's she's done everything she can and not only has it not gotten better it's gotten worse we have that detail so there's she's in she's in dire straits, what do we do? Uh, by the way, some of the things, there's it, 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 it's just interesting, some of the, the uh, remedies suggested for these things uh, have to do with, you know, one of them had to do with gathering a, a barley corn out of the dung of a white mule and carrying in a pouch and going to a crossroads and having some, someone come behind you and say, you know, bleeding be gone, basically. Uh, you know, so it's those sorts of things, but a lot of different types of things going on. Um, but the, the key here is she's unclean, too. She can't participate in, in, in her community as a Jew. She's considered this 12 years of being ostracized as unclean. Now, we're going to see, of course, that Jesus is not worried about that. He's not worried about You know, the pollution of of unclean. In fact, he's going to go into the room later of a dead girl. He's already been to a cemetery, a graveyard. That was unclean. We've seen all this happening. He's he's not concerned about that. But she is. Imagine having been ostracized all that time at, at your very end of hope. But having heard that Jesus can heal. Now, we don't know her theological acumen. We don't know how much she knows about him. But there does appear to be a little bit of superstition involved here. If I can just touch his cloak, or the tassel, Jewish men with the 4 corner tassels, just touch the tassel of his garment. If I could just do that, there's this understanding that power was actually discharged through clothing. So there's this, at least a little bit of superstition going on there, mixed with belief Trust that if I just do this, I'll be healed. And, of course, that happens. Um, what's interesting to me about this is that, you know, it's, it's, not, your, it's, it's not your sophistication in doctrinal knowledge that saves you. We, we kind of get to that point sometimes. Where we're, we're worried about who's saved based on whether they believe in, you know, the five points of you know Calvin's tulip, or those sorts of things. This woman had none of that. She was desperately in need and trusted. Now Jesus helps her to understand on the back end about her faith, but her faith is very both desperate and elementary, even almost superstitious at the front, and God meets her where she is. Funny little thing. On the meantime, though, right? So she touches him, touches his garment, has to sneak up behind somehow, because she's afraid, as well, of the crowd. And Jesus knows, and his disciples. That's, that's what's fun around this. Because you know, who touched me? It's like look around you. <laughs> you know, there they go again, right? In the boat. Don't you care that we're drowning? And then, what? Who touched you? Look around you. Of course, Luke tells us, guess who is the mouthpiece? If you had to guess, who is the one disciple who said it? Peter. Peter. Yeah, there you go. See, you understand your Peter. Good job. Yeah, the, the, the Peter is the one who said it. Look, the bunch of people have touched you. But of course, Jesus, undeterred, knows in his, you know, in, in his whatever omniscience, whatever that's like being fully human, but just knows because he felt power go out of him. Now, I can't tell you all of what that means. Does that make sense? I mean, I I don't know how to wrap my brain around that, except that we see throughout Jesus' ministry, we have a tendency to think of him as a superhero, you know, like Superman or something, and nothing can happen to me, where this costs him. Oh you could
1: say he
0: was a Rambo that era.
1: Rambo?
0: <laughs> I hope not. All right, anyway. Uh, that's great. That's that's great. Illustrations from Jay. Yes. Now, it, it costs him. And we see that cost throughout his ministry. And and in this sense, he, he feel he knows there's there's something that happened. And so we're told that he looks around. He looks to see who this might be. Now imagine being that woman, having knowing that you have been restored. We're told that she immediately knew her body was whole. But she's been considered unclean all this time. She's a woman in the crowd. Here's a man, a rabbi, addressing who spoke, who did this. She's going to have to speak in front of people as someone who's unclean, to a man who is a rabbi, and then his eyes, being in that crowd. And then she knows. And that faith she demonstrated now comes gushing out in confession. And like Jairus fell at Jesus' feet, so she falls at his feet. And we're told she tells him everything. How embarrassing was that? Two, in a public forum, but sometimes confession requires that and she tells him everything and Jesus of course at this point says behold oh wait no <laughs> if you it would help if you read the thing daughter there's the daughter of the outline right that a term of endearment obviously i'm sure there's probably someone out there who's said, aha, see, daughter, Jesus was married, had kids. Okay, I'm sure someone said that. But here, term of endearment, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, be healed of your affliction, your scourge, your plague. If you have a King James, it's plague. Yes, this 12-year-old scourge, you have been healed. Notice, he says, your faith, your trust. Even though you didn't fully understand that trust, has made you whole. The power, in other words, that trust enabled that power to work. So what is it? Is it God's power, and, and, or is it our faith? And Yes. To try to unravel and unpack all of that, I think, is a waste of time. I think we just let it speak. She had trust. She had faith. And it happened as she believed. She learned the explanation on the back end. Sometimes that happens, but she's made whole. She's restored, not just restored to health, but now she's restored to her community. She's no longer considered unclean. Twelve years. It's a great, great little, uh, good filmable episode, isn't it? It would be, you know, how that, how that would work. Was that in the, that Chosen? Have they ever done this? I haven't done that far yet. Okay. Haven't gotten to that yet? And I'm, to those of you listening, I'm, I'm referencing a, a mini series that's being uh, you know, privately funded to basically run through, I guess, the life of Christ yeah. and his disciples. Uh, so I was just asking if that, that had been filmed yet. No, I would be, yeah, I've heard that it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well,. Part of the reason the disciples were probably going, well, look around you, man. People are all over the place, and we can't... Come on! We can't stop right here to do... A, someone touched you. Come on, the synagogue leader's daughter is dying. Right? All very practical, isn't it? Sometimes this Jesus stuff isn't practical. This, they were being very practical. We've got a deadline. We've got to get this done. This is what's going to happen. You can't just be... But, you know, stopping along the way to minister. Well, you probably know what happened, right? All right. Well, before we move on, do any of you all have any questions or other thoughts on this? Yes, ma'am. I heard
2: something about the tassels on the fair shawl that the men wore, that Jesus was wearing. And w- can you tell us if, if there's any speculation about what the tassel castle and which tassel she might have touched. I've heard about that
0: sometimes. I don't know. I, all I know is broad outline, not any detail. Um, m- Jewish men would be, that was one of their distinguishers, to wear that outer shawl with four, the four corners, would be a tassel on each corner, as an identifier of their Jewishness as being part of the covenant family. Uh, but beyond that, and the, to speculate about. Which tassel? I, I don't know enough.
2: But the tassels do have a, each one has a significant, Correct.
0: Or does it not? But I, I, I don't know enough. You know, uh, interestingly, over time, uh, there were embellishments to this story, as you can probably well imagine. Uh, the woman's name has even been speculated on. It's in, uh, in the Greek-speaking. It's Berenice, Bernice, and in Latin, it's Veronica. If you've heard, so there was speculation as to the woman's name, and there was also in Eusebius' church history from 4th century, the ecclesiastical history, it's a guy named Eusebius. Uh, he even says that she was from Caesarea Philippi, and at her home in Caesarea Philippi, there was a statue, a bronze statuette erected outside of her home, of a woman prostrating herself before Jesus, whose hand is out, that that statue was later destroyed by one of the Roman, one of the Roman generals. But that's just stuff that has, you know, again embellishments in early church history about these things. Who knows? It might have been her name. We we don't know for sure. Uh, it's fun too to notice that where Jesus had rebuked his disciples of where is your faith here you have this woman demonstrating that faith yes
3: this is,
1: uh, you said she had a statue in front of her house mm-hmm. back when this
0: happened uh, much it, after that in commemoration of it so let's say after the first century because of the 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 story itself and then it was later destroyed and it had been destroyed by the time Eusebius wrote if that if this is actually accurate By the way, I'd encourage you to read Ecclesiastical History by Eusebius. It's, you know, tra- in translation, unless you're good at it. Uh, but it is fascinating to, to learn of this the, the early legends and things that go on behind the, the scene. Paul
2: Mayer has
0: a good, uh, there's a book by Paul Mayer that translates Eusebius history. Oh, does he? M mm-hmm. A I E R. N A I E R. Okay. M. M. M- oh, A-I-R. Mayer. 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 Got it. Paul Mayer. All right, well, let's continue with verses 35 to 43, and let's see what happens with Jairus' daughter. I think you probably know from the outline. I put Jairus' daughter's raised, but let's just see.
3: While Jesus was speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, at the synagogue leader. Your daughter's dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And he put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, Koum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat.
0: <laughs> I love the, the end. Give her something to eat. To obviously emphasize, she's probably been sick a while, right? This girl's hungry. Give her something to eat. I love that touch. Yeah, yeah it's a great touch. Um, all right, well, we're, we're, we're starting to run out of time. Uh, I mean, quite not you know, ontologically, but, you know, just, I mean, in general, you know, like, for the, sc- for the class. Um, so, but I do want, we can do another 10. well, we can do another 10.
1: See, they're having an 11 o'clock service traditional. Ah. And so it would be interesting to see if this
0: will be still use So there may, may not be any overflow. No. All right, all right. See, that's what you do with the contemporary overflow. You just throw them into a traditional service. There you go. That'll, sh- that'll teach them. <laughs> there you go. Um, so he, he hears, of course, that, hey, she's, she's died. There's no need to trouble the teacher anymore. Uh, and again, very practical would be, okay, that's it, no hope. Notice Jesus' words. He says, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. The, the tenses there help us to understand a little more. It's don't go on fearing, go on trusting. Don't keep on fearing, keep on trusting. Well, what's Jerry's fear, of course, is that his daughter has died. And, his, and he's been told, trust me. Wow. How often every day do we need that? Now, maybe in similar circumstances, but almost all the time, we need to be reminded, yes, I see what's going on around you. Don't be afraid. Trust me. And we could just stop it there, but some more happens. And that more that happens is, of course, that he arrives. He takes his inner cadre, his inner circle. We see Peter, James, and John. Uh, He does that quite a bit with them. A lot of speculation. Why those? Why them? But it's it's them. They're the ones that are the closest. It's interesting that you have Peter who becomes sort of the initial mouthpiece of the church. You have John, who is the longest living of the disciples, and you have James, who is the first to be martyred. And they all get to witness this. So he takes a smaller band to Jairus' house, and when he gets there, it's a scene that we're not used to in our now 21st century Western culture. But it's still in many Eastern cultures where there is overt mourning, overt formalized mourning. Uh, Usually, a person is buried the same day, and you hire mourners. We're told in the other accounts, too, that they're accompanied by flutes. It wasn't just wailing. It was also flute playing. All that to say, the, the mourning process over the death of this little girl is already in full swing. And Mark describes it as a hubbub. I mean, just why all the hubbub? Because Jesus comes and says, why all the hubbub? Why, and now, and why make a commotion and weep? What? Why all this? And of course, he's going to make a point, right? And we see that a lot of this mourning is just sort of formalized, not genuine. Because when he says, the child's not died but asleep, but is sleeping, well, they began just to laugh at him. Rebu- you know, it's just sort of jeer at it, be sarcastic with him. Yeah, sure. (laughs) In other words, you go from, ooh, to yeah. You know, so that's what's going on. Why did he say she's asleep? Because this is not permanent death. She is sleeping. In fact, that term then is used often for the saints, those who are passed on as being as sleeping, awaiting the resurrection. Here she's awaiting a resuscitation, not final resurrection you get. She's going to die again. Bummer. Okay, but but at least you see a hint of this. Uh, The word cemetery is from the Greek, and it means a sleeping place. That's where we get our word cemetery. Graveyard is Anglo-Saxon, and it means where holes have been graven into the ground. So you see the difference just in the terms. Uh, So... She's just sleeping. So he, despite that, notice as he stilled the sea, he stills the crowd. He rebukes them. They go away. Where there is fear and all of this, he rebukes that. And he takes them and the parents up to the room. And then we're given Aramaic. So you can learn some Aramaic. Talitha cum. And it means, arise, lamb. And a little, little girl. Okay, arise, little one. Get up time to get up. Almost spoken as if you would to a child who's asleep. Time to get up. And I think that's why the Aramaic is preserved. Why, the other two accounts don't have the Aramaic. Mark keeps it. Remember, he's getting this most likely from Peter. And this made such an impact on Peter that the Aramaic itself is preserved. They would probably have spoken Aramaic just as they went around Galilee. But the Gospels are in Greek because that's the lingua franca of the day. And they would speak Greek as well, but here you have the Aramaic preserved, because I think it's such, it's so understated. This amazing, spectacular event comes through the words that did we tell any child, time to get up, and that, that had to make such an impact. Again, we would be, and lo, he did reach to, you know, none. Whereas, remember, Jairus wanted Jesus to come and lay hands on her. He just takes her hand and helps her out of bed. Cool stuff. And not only does he help her out of bed, it's not like it's a, oh, oh. Like any 12-year-old, What she start doing? Yeah, immediately. She starts running around. She's up, man. She's going. And she's probably hungry. And then we have the words that are unlike the words he told the Gerasenes. I mean, the garrison, uh, you know, I mean, he's been telling his Jewish audience, don't say anything about this. The garrison, he said, he said, go tell everybody because he's in a Gentile area. Now he tells them, don't tell anybody what you've seen here or what took place here. <laughs> it's in Capernaum on the, on the western shore of the lake. Now, How's that even going to happen? Right? I mean, the girl's going to, it's not like she's going to be quarantined. There's our word. Uh, so it's, it's much more about don't make this a grandiose thing. Don't, it probably gave some time for Jesus and his band, his small band, to leave before this crowd who's already just sort of, oh, yeah, and all this, has a chance to have to deal with the news itself. But there's no way you're going to keep something like this quiet, but it's more about I don't want you to make a big deal of this, especially given this context right now, and he's going to say it again, but what I want us to see particularly, of course, is that in both cases, both of these cases, you have fear replaced by faith, and I think all of us Need that lesson all the time. At the very end, it says they were astonished. You know, they were greatly. Astonished. In the Greek, it's great because it's just redundancy. They were astonished with great astonishment. <laughs> it's a great phrase. So they were astonished with a lot of astonishment. <laughs> and of course, rightly so, uh-huh. especially having witnessed. Time to get up. And boom, cool stuff. How much time do I have? Yeah, I think probably time to pray. Time to pray. I see people outside. All right. Any any comment? Well, I want to give any last comment. Yes, ma'am.
2: I just think it would be great to read this parallel in First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen and fourteen. I won't read the whole passage, which addresses both those who are alive when Christ returns and those who have fallen asleep. But this is what uh, 4.13 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And then going to verse 18. Therefore, encourage each other with these words.
0: Amen. Amen. I want to end with a little anonymous poem from a woman who heard a sermon on the woman with the issue of blood and then wrote this to her pastor. And we don't have a name for the woman. Here's, it's just two stanzas. Who touched me? Twas the voice of the master. And the woman's heart beat faster and faster. Trembling, she came and bowed her head. I touched thee, Lord, was what she said. But the man's master answered, Go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole this day. Have you touched me? I heard it. Twas the voice of the master. And oh, my heart beat faster and faster. You came with the throng to God's house today, but I felt not your touch when you went your way. I was ashamed and bowed my head. Reach out a bit further next time, he said. Let's pray. Thanks, Father, for your word and for this time I get to share in it. Thank you that uh, we... Uh, are the recipients of uh, so much study and and knowledge of those who've come before us and that we can distill that and and learn from it still to this day. Our prayer this week is that uh, we do reach out and touch you and that our fear would be transformed to faith. In the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen. All right. See you, podcast people.
1: Thank you.